when you find the thing that's right for you, that's kind of how it is, you know, like you're just obsessed with it. It's almost like you have to do it. I remember the other day I was talking to another filmmaker and we keep referring to what we do as like a necessity. Like it feels like I have to create the art that's in my head. And I think a lot of artists maybe relate to that experience because when you have a big imagination, you're seeing the images in your head. And it's like, you can't relax till you get those images out. Hello and welcome to the People of Web3 podcast, where we talk to creators, builders, and thought leaders in the Web3 space. We explore and unpack ideas, values, and strategies that hopefully can help all of us navigate this Web3 movement with a bit more purpose and clarity. If this sounds interesting to you, then feel free to subscribe. Other than that, please enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the People of Web3 podcast. I'm your co-host Frank, and with me is Blaine, our other co-host. How are you doing, Blaine? I'm doing good, thank you. And today we have a special guest, Rob Woodcox, who is a fine art photographer and film director, currently based between Mexico and US. How are you doing, Rob? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Glad to have you here. Um, so I think there's a lot to talk about today. Mainly, I think we want to focus on the films that you did and you're planning to do, um, how you're incorporating uh, Web3 into your upcoming project ideas. And can you tell us a little bit about how you entered Web3 in the first place? And when was that? Just a little context for our listeners. Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, I I know that you know, crypto and NFTs have been around for quite a while. And I feel like I was a little late to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I started to hear about NFTs maybe three, four years ago. And at first I was just, you know, I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, well, why would I join something that I haven't figured out yet? And I'm sure a lot of people could probably relate to this when when NFTs first started becoming a little bit more popular. It's like, you know, I had so much going on in life with with, you know, the fine art world that I was in, you know, starting to transition to film. And so I didn't really know how how to incorporate NFTs. And I didn't feel like I had the time back then to learn everything. And I kind of told myself, okay, I'm going to wait until something big comes along. Like I get a a nice invitation or something, or I meet somebody who will like teach me how this all works. And that's when I got invited directly to Super Rare. So um, Alessio Davici reached out to me um, directly from the platform and invited me and hopefully I'm not butchering his name. And uh, I was like, you know what? I think now is the time, you know? Like I did my research at that point and obviously SuperRare is like one of the top platforms. So I was like, yeah, I think it's time to do this. So I uploaded my first NFT and it sold within like 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I should- This is real money, 10 minutes, yeah, I, was I like, like this that. is tangible. Yeah, so I was like, I guess I should keep doing this. and. Actually, when I joined, it was when the market was at its peak. Um, that was like, a, you know, a couple of years ago, I think Ethereum peaked out at like $5,000 per Ethereum or something. Um, so to be fair, I joined at a really good time. Um, I'm kind of missing those days as we all are. And, you know, it's been such a great journey um, since then, you know, the the market has ebbed and flowed, but um, I've participated in a few drops, made some sales here and there on various platforms, and it's just been really wonderful connecting with people in the community. You know, I never expected the Web3 community to be so inclusive and, um, you know, a lot of focus on great causes. You know, a lot of people, obviously with any industry, there's a mix of everything, but, you know, I've come across so many people that are, are in the space to better humanity, to better the art community. And I love that. I love, love, love the camaraderie. And, you know, 
when I was starting photography, I joined Flickr, you know, way back when, before Instagram even existed. And I grew a big community on there. And then that translated over to Facebook pages and then to Instagram and now Twitter. And over the years, you know, I've never found a community that feels quite so engaging since the Flickr days. And now I'm starting to feel that with Twitter, you know, um, I've recently been getting more involved with Slika, which is specifically focused on photography. And then, and that community is amazing. Like they're so engaging and they're so thoughtful about including everybody um, with weekly spaces on Twitter and all kinds of unique drops that feature different types of talent. And now that I'm becoming more of a film director, which is an exciting transition in my career, um, I'm partnering with Art on Internet to do specialized drops in tandem with the release of my films. So um, I recently launched my first short film. Before that, I had done a big beauty campaign with the Royal Ballet in London, and I had done a music video with one of my favorite artists, Rai X. And that sort of was my training wheels for film direction, you know, the smaller productions. And so I just did my first short film, which is about eight minutes long and I'm in pre-production for my first feature film, which is crazy to think about. Um, just like doing it, you know, it's like you dream about things for so long and then when you're finally doing it, it feels very surreal. But um, yeah, with the, with the first short film, we basically created exclusive content um, from footage that never made it into the film. And we're about to release it as NFTs with experiential opportunities attached. Um, and there'll be sort of like different tiers that people can collect. I'm very excited for that. You you talked about Super Rare and that they reached out to you. Um, was that on Twitter, Instagram? I'm just curious where that, that ch what ch that channel was. I believe that they reached out to me directly via email. I think they email. found like a website and I yeah. have like a contact page there. And I, if I remember correctly, I, I remember a lot of email um, conversations in the beginning when I was getting everything set up. I mean, I was so, I was such a newbie that I was like, what is a wallet? And like, how do <laughs> I set that up? I've like, got my wallet really? here, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> put it up to the really? laptop, like connect. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because you if you get email, you hear the whistle outside. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, a, a, it's, it's a classic Mexico City piece of culture. It's literally a dude that rolls around with an oven of sweet potatoes, and oh. it's just like this super loud whistle. Like it sucks when you're right next to them, like outside. But even inside, it kind of feels like it's right there. Just like yeah. <laughs> as, as a bit of richness, as a bit of richness yeah. to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We're really in Mexico, everybody. Yeah. yeah we're, 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 we're there. Well, we're not there, but we're there vicariously through through you. Um, mm. I, I just think it's interesting because you said they reach out on email. And if people get emails from like big platforms nowadays, they're probably pretty skeptical because mm. there's a lot of, you know, scams going on. And I wasn't there that early. So it's interesting to me to hear at first they were all done. A lot of things were done through email, legit ones. Yeah, I, I don't, I honestly don't remember super clearly, but maybe Alessio contacted me on one of the social media platforms as just an outreach. And then we connected on email. I see. Okay. That could be the case too. Yeah. But kind of like a good, good thing to be aware of that. I guess people are kind of looking out. So if you do have a presence kind of online or offline or whatever, you know, um, you know, people can uh, discover you and reach out and, you know, you could post NFT and cash out in, in uh, 10 minutes if, if that's kind of one thing that you want to do. But maybe, I, I, maybe not nowadays. Maybe not nowadays, but if you time it, your timing was pretty like uh, spot, on yeah, from, spot on from that perspective. Um. I want to maybe speak about your your style a, a little bit because you've got quite a distinct um, style in your photography and even uh, in your filmmaking. Uh, for those, we'll obviously share links so people can kind of see it and experience it with more than just the ears. But 
for those that are just listening, how would you describe uh, your your style um, of of film of of photography, and what's I guess your objective for creating these sorts of things? Like, is there something that you're aiming to a particular response, or like, what's your goal for creating in the first place as well? Absolutely, that's a great question. Um, you know, I've always sort of described my work as realistic surrealism. Uh, I've always been really inspired by surrealist painters. So some of my love of, of art and photography, or sorry, of just art in general when I was a kid, started with drawing and painting. And as I got older, I started to learn about some of the greats in painting, like Rene Magritte, uh, Frida Kahlo, Leonora Carrington, Dali, you know, all the, all the amazing surrealist artists. And um, even when I started in photography, I was immediately drawn to the more complex, uh, surreal creators like Annie Leibovitz, uh, Eugenio Raikwenko, Tim Walker, um, Gregory Crudson, and, you know, Herb Ritz, you know, some of these iconic photographers who didn't just shoot a beautiful portrait, but created entire narratives in like cinema, it felt like cinema frozen in moments within photography. And so, you know, I've always had a big imagination, I'm really glad that I never let that die. And mm -hmm. so when I was making that transition from high school to college to adult life, um, you know, when a lot of people tell you, you have to get a real job, and you have to do all this stuff. I was weirdly stubborn about it. And I was like, the only thing that's ever drawn me in is creating. It's the only thing that's ever spoken to me. My mom was a nurse, my dad was a carpenter, um, you know, very humble middle class setting. And, you know, I think when you come from any, any different background, your parents really want the best for you, right? So they, you know, their, their direction for you to get a job or to do whatever is usually based in a place of love of like, we want you to succeed. And I just remember my dad always being like, you're never going to make money at photography. <laughs> and so I was like hell bent on proving him wrong, I think. Um, and so I went to a very small local school that was super affordable to learn photography there. They were one of a few schools across the United States that have a huge Canon grant and had all the equipment you could imagine. Um, and so here I was going to this small local school paying next to nothing for college in the United States, but having access to so much equipment and resources. And I had amazing teachers in college. Um, and, you know, an hour away in this in the heart of Detroit, where the big art school is, that's like $30,000 a semester, that people had to pay that and rent equipment, like they weren't getting free access to the resources. So there's people, you know, right down the street paying, you know, 10 times the price of what I'm paying to go to school, probably going into debt if they're, you know, middle class like I was. Um, and I'm over here feeling like, the world is my oyster because I have, you know, I remember my school had something like a hundred cameras that students could check out for free. So it was like all different kinds of Canon cameras, That's Nikons, pretty good. bit of a playground. Lot. Yeah, it was literally a playground and they had really good state of the art um, studios. I mean, if you're from the Detroit area and you're listening, go to Washington Community College, you're going to pay a fraction of the price. The teachers are super like down to earth and like, on on your level and i just feel like i got so much more out of that experience than a lot of a lot of art school experiences that i hear about um and my teachers were very much like encouraging of me seeking my path like i i, I remember after college um one of my professors did an interview with a newspaper that i was also interviewed by and he basically told the interviewer like rob just came to class and like brought the work with him like we didn't have to give him assignments he was bringing the assignments to class like we would make an assignment for one project and he'd bring back five that's how passionate i was mm. even you know as a young artist and so you know i think 
when you find the thing that's right for you, that's kind of how it is, you know, like you're just obsessed with it. It's almost like you have to do it. I remember um, the other day I was talking to another filmmaker where we're discussing some initial stages of some short films we might, we might want to create. And we keep referring to what we do as like a necessity. Like it feels like I have to create the art that's in my head. And I think a lot of artists maybe relate to that experience because you know, when you have a big imagination, you're seeing the images in your head. And it's like, you can't relax till you get those images out, you know? So, you know, for all the other visual artists out there, I think, um, you know, staying true to your passion, staying true to your, you know, vision is so important. And with time, it just, you know, reputation is a, is a big deal. Like if you just keep doing something, people will start to believe in you. They'll just be like, oh yeah, Rob's the guy that does these like interesting, surreal photos. And, you know, with more and more time, you hone in on, you know, your technical abilities and um, conceptually what speaks to you the most. And that's how I think you develop a style. I mean, in the beginning, I, I, I should send you guys like a, one of my early Flickr day uh, film oh, yeah. photos. It's like me, like, in the middle of the street, holding a clock, like trying to look all edgy. Um, <laughs> holding a clock. I, remember, I literally have a photo where I'm like holding a clock in the middle of a, of a road. And what was like, the concept behind that particular I think it show. was like something about like time passing and like holding on to time or something, trying mm. to like stop time or I don't even know. <laughs> it was super cheesy, but I mean, to, to know that like, I, I think this is, again, like something that all artists should, you know, a lot of artists probably relate to that have gotten to a place where they feel like they have a style um, or if they're just starting and they, they feel a little bit lost. I think it's it's a big encouragement to know that we all start at the beginning. We all start like not knowing what we're doing and playing and figuring it out. But it's it's again, like I said, it's that dedication with time that just it's repetition. They say 10,000 hours makes makes an expert um and so I, i've always kind of kept that phrase in the back of my mind and and thought you know like you just have to keep doing the thing that you love and eventually you can get to where you want to be so mm-hmm. I, I like how you keep your imagination and i guess um for me the way that i kind of see it is to play keep playing and not get too serious about it i think that's kind of what you mentioned as well in the beginning, just enjoy what you're doing, keep producing. I w- I, use, I like to use the word playing and um, I am the most serious when I'm in my play mode. I think that <laughs> might be a lot of artists. So when people tell me to be serious, I actually become less productive. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I like what you said with the... Um the reps and the repetition uh, and become a, becoming an ex- expert. Like, I don't know if this is just me, but when I think of kind of creativity and that sort of thing, you don't necessarily associate it with kind of repetition or reps in order to kind of get better. Like I associate that with, um, you know, going to the gym or you're, you're kind of working on an assignment and you have to kind of just work on it each day. But in my head, it kind of felt like creativity was something a little bit different, but the reality is like the the reps is part of it. Um, but I think if you are really enjoying what you do, the reps probably don't really feel like reps is, I guess, the the difference. Um, exactly. You're, you're doing the reps even though you're not realizing it. And um, the accumulation of those reps kind of gets you to a state where you can probably, um, I don't know, create super cool and interesting things yeah because i don't know how you come up with your images concepts um i saw the the short one minute um beauty campaign video you did with um uh, london ballet no what is it called the royal ballet royal ballet from london (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was beautiful and when actually when i started shooting um during uni was when I started shooting my friends who were dancers, because I was dancing back then as well. So they were my easiest models. But yeah, I could, I could, I could like imagine kind of 
clips or scenes or frames like this, but I can never bring it to life. So it's really cool to actually see it from your your perspective. And yeah, it was so beautiful. Mm. Oh, thank you. You know, it's again, I think, I mean, to your point, Blaine, like normally people don't think of creativity as like repetition, like in a gym, but I mean, the mind is a muscle. Imagination is like a muscle. I mean, the more you exercise it, the more, the more it grows, honestly. And I, that's the strongest muscle in my body. I mean, I've never been like the biggest gym person, but I've always been really like cerebral, like up here. So, yeah. you know, I think to each their own, I think whatever your priority in in life is, you should always put energy towards that. But um, yeah, I can also com uh, relate with you, Frank. I think, you know, my obsession with dance specifically started because, um, I mean, dancers' entire goal is to express through their body. Their body is their tool, right, um, for their art form. And so I remember the first time I worked with a dancer, I was just like describing the emotions I wanted to see. And it just happened like that. It was like immediate. It was like, I want this sort of like somber, but like transitioning to joy moment. And they would just like show that with their body. And it's just like, I love that you can translate poetry. And, you know, a lot of my work is actually inspired by poetry that I write or poetic ideas that I develop from real life experiences. So to be able to hand that poetry over to, um, a dancer and just have them translate it into the most beautiful positions. It's amazing. And yeah, I think that, you know, speaking of, you know, my, my connection now between photography and film, like the project with the Royal Ballet, it honestly, I've been doing these like big compositions in my photographs for years. So when I started doing film, it felt like such a natural transition because it was like, you know, what I basically did is I storyboarded out for, for that project, for example, I was working with Marcelino Sambe, who is one of the lead dancers of the Royal Ballet. And so, I mean, the Royal Ballet has different structures. So two or three of the dancers were like lead dancers from the company and the rest were like student or like younger dancers. And so Marcelino kind of like directed all the movement, but I gave him a whole storyboard of like, I want the composition to start here and then I want it to transition to this and I actually worked with a sketch artist. I, I gave the sketch artist pictures of all the dancers that were um, part of the project. And then I showed them like the location that we were aiming to work with. Um, when you're doing a big production like that, things change so often. So we ended up storyboarding for one location and then we shot in a totally different location. But the movement we were able to generally um, keep the same. And so I basically said, I want you guys to start in this structure and then somehow shift and, and transform into this shape and then run down this hallway and then do this and that. And what was really cool is storyboard artists are crazy. Like working with someone who just sketches based on what you're describing to them is a wild experience because they do such a good job. Like I've, I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of work from, you know, both sides because you know, I would give them pictures of the spaces. And, you know, like I said, I, I kind of built them a picture with materials that I gave them and then described what I wanted, but it was like always spot on. And I love, I love, it feels like you're creating like a little comic of, mm. of the film <laughs> that you're about to create. So they, they literally sketch things scene by scene and they'll have like arrows pointing, like the dancers are going to move this way. And like, it's so That's much crazy. fun. Yeah, it's it's such an intense process. But then, you know, you get your final storyboard, you you check it off and you're like, this looks amazing. And then you give it to the movement director, in this case, Marcelino Sambe. And it's like they just take what you had as an as a concept and they apply their expertise and their magic to it. And it just mm. transforms into this whole thing that you could never do alone. So it's honestly like I'm so happy that I'm making this transition finally into film because it's so community driven, like you really have to rely on all these different talents and it's not my film at the end of the day, it's our film. You mm -hmm. know, I try to be really mindful of that, you know, occasionally 
you know, I'll just be like, yeah, my new film comes out, whatever. But most of the time on social media, I try to remember to say our film because really it's such a group effort. It's such a community effort. And I couldn't be happier than to be where I am right now. Interesting. I'm glad to hear your about your transition as well. Going from photography, which is something you do in solitude by yourself into film. For me, I always imagine it as a huge transition, but it seems like it comes really natural to you. Um, can you share with us a little bit about your upcoming film? I know we talked a, a little bit about it. Um, it's going to involve a bit of impact and um, also back to Web3, which is our main topic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I'm really excited because, you know, and, and I'm actually really excited to get deeper into the the film three community. So I've been, you know, recently I've been sitting in on some Twitter spaces, um, just starting to get to know some of that crowd, but it's full of amazing people. And I'm already kind of discovering that. And so anyway, I am, like I said, starting to work on my first feature film. Um, it's going to be focused on front lines, climate change communities. And we're going to use art that comes kind of from my style and documentary to blend the two together and create something that I feel like has never been done before. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really excited about it because, you know, I think we're living in a time that is quite, you know, it can be quite scary at times when, when, when you really delve deep into the media and what's, what's being said about the topic. Um, but what I've really discovered is that a lot of media is focused on fear-driven mentality. And so, you know, we're living in a time where, you know, the media would rather get as many views and as much money from a situation as they can. And so they use fear mentality to drive numbers and drive engagement, which is really just disappointing because it's like, you know, where's the good news, you know, like not to not to swing to the other side of the pendulum and be like a toxic positivity person. But, you know, there are a lot of great things happening as well. And I feel like those those solutions and 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 triumphs that are happening around the world, if those were the center of the conversation, we might actually see a lot more change happening when we when we talk about things like climate. And so with this film, we, we really create a celebratory solution oriented documentary that's going to focus on the people who are at the front lines who are really positively impacting change um, and so what's really exciting um, is i'm going to be spending a lot of time getting to know these communities firsthand you know before we even get to the filming stage i'm going to be spending time you know one-on-one -on -one in these communities getting to know the leaders, getting to know, you know, the parents and kids that are working together to build communities in the Amazon, um, in remote coral regions around the world, in areas where habitats are being restored for animals that are really key to the survival of our planet, you know, whether it's honeybees or sea turtles or wild game in Africa, um, you know, every every creature plays a key role in supporting the ecosystem that we all depend on. You know, if it weren't for the bees, I think like 40% of our food would just disappear. Like if the bees died out tomorrow, 40% of the food that we eat would be gone right away, um, which is horrifying to think about. And, but at the same time, you know, I think a lot of amazing solutions exist for each and every one of these topics. And that's what we're really excited to dive into. And, you know, when we talking, shifting back to, you know, the topic of Web3, what I'm really excited about and what I've been seeing happen in other people's films and what we're about to see for ourselves with my short film that already came out is we're really aiming to make the process more sustainable by creating, engaging NFTs and, and content that can be released in the Web3 space in tandem with the films themselves. So that, you know, on one hand, it makes it more sustainable because, you know, the idea is that we'll earn some of the money back that we invested into the film. 
and be able to spread the message much further with our, with with those investments. Um, and I also think it's really exciting because it's going to get you know people who want to collect the pieces or who maybe you know we're going to build in some experiential things for some of the top tier NFT opportunities. Um, and you know the people who engage with that and who participate and collect those those top tier NFTs, you know. I think it's going to be pretty life changing the experiences that we're able to curate for these people. Um, and I'm really excited to see how we're able to build a community around the film itself. You know, I think what we have to say is so powerful. And again, it's not me, it's us. It's going to be a whole community of people around the world, you know, indigenous leaders, climate leaders, activists who are really doing the work that's protecting the environment for all of us. Um, and, you know, for someone to be able to collect a piece of that and then say that they contributed to that story, I think that's going to be really special. Um, and that's, again, it's going to pave the way for the filmmaking community to just make what we do more sustainable. You know, film is so much more involved than photography. <laughs> it's like, you know, with the, with the short film, you know, I didn't, there was no profit there, you know, like it wasn't about that. It was about the passion of creation and the story that we wanted to tell. And I think eventually when you build up your, your name as a, as a director in the film world, there might, you know, be a possibility that, yeah, there's more profitable avenues, but it's not something that I think anybody gets into with that in mind. It's about the stories that we want to tell. It's about the connections we want to make. And, you know, I'm really excited to see how Web3 can contribute to that and, and build that community, um, build that impact and really, you know, bring more, more people together from a community that, you know, for me has really supported my art already. You know, like I already feel so supported and, and kind of held by that community. And so for them to be able to interact with my films now, I'm just like, oh, I'm like <laughs> a giddy kid for Christmas. I can't wait to drop all of that. Yeah. I want to, there's a few kind of cool things that you just talked about that I'd love to like double click, but one is around, cause I love docos. I, my background's in architecture, but I was actually halfway through, I was going to drop out to be like a wildlife uh, kind of filmmaker or something like that. And uh, my family kind of convinced me out of it, but I love, I love documentaries. Um, and the documentary that you're looking to create now is is like way different um, to, I guess, the ones that would probably be more familiar with the David Attenboroughs. It's a kind of different style. So I want to um, ask, considering that style, like how do you think that would complement like a climate change um, sort of a a narrative? Um, is it mainly around, yeah, like what what different um, what are the benefits of adding your unique flavor to um, a wildlife documentary? Um, you know, what does that offer that maybe a conventional documentary uh, wouldn't? You know, I think a lot of, a lot of, you know, the Discovery Channel, Nat Geo, you know, content that we see. I love the David Attenborough documentary. I love the Obama um, Planet Earth series. Um, I think those those series are very special in their own way. They're very factual. They're very scientific. Um, you know, there will be elements of that in our documentary. Um, but I feel like they're almost so grand that they don't connect on a deep level with people. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, here's this ex exotic land millions of miles away that will never come to your front door. And we want to bring these stories to people's front door. We want to say, look at this family who lives in this environment, who works in this environment every single day. Um, you know, one story that I, I just, you know, learned from my, our researcher, um, she's actually Colombian. She's based in the Colombian, oh, she's based in Bogota, but works closely with the Colombian Amazon uh, tribes and peoples um, and all sorts of different organizations there that are working towards, um, you know, stopping deforestation and, and, and many other things that are happening in the Amazon. And one story that she told us about was this indigenous community who needed to earn a living, was having conflicts with the government, like encroaching upon their territory, 
um, and they found a way to make a living um, basically hunting this species of monkey that was, you know, on the verge of endangerment. And, but it was a monkey that was used for research and then it was also used for um, tourism purposes. And so they just kept like, you know, trafficking these monkeys, at, but, but I mean, the only way that they could do that was by cutting down huge sections of the monkey's habitat so that they could corner them and trap them. So not only were they trafficking the animals, but they're also destroying huge plots of forest to do so. And, you know, of course, you from an outside perspective, you could get outraged and say, you know, like, how dare these people, you know, do this. But when you think about it, it's like everybody has to make a living. Everybody has to survive in this world. And in that unique situation, these people just felt like they had no choice. They saw an opportunity to make a living and they took it um, without maybe realizing the, the bigger impact mm. that they were making. Well, with time, other communities locally that were more focused on protecting the environment, um, educated, you know, shared knowledge, um, you know, everybody kind of figured out maybe this isn't the best even for us. Like this is maybe harming our own, you know, long-term wellness. Um, and so they, they discovered that if they started improving their environment, you know, replanting the trees, um, keeping the, the the habitats for the for the wild monkeys healthy, they could shift to an ecotourism format that would preserve the environment, but still bring income in a unique way that actually is a win win for everybody. You know, it, it brings outsider it brings outside money in um, in ways that they never were earning before. Um, Maybe it allows for opportunities for people outside to be educated while they're there experiencing the ecotourist um, experience. And it's just better for everybody. I mean, it's preserving the environment. So we're really interested in finding these, you know, again, frontline stories where communities are taking it upon themselves to protect their own environments, to reverse um, narratives that, you know, we've, we hear all over the world, like, you know, the Amazon's being cut down or, the coral reefs are being destroyed from tourism or whatever it might be. Um, and we really want to bring those human stories to the forefront, you know, to really connect with other humans around the world. And then, you know, the element of filming across borders, I think is really special too, because I think with politics, it's so easy for people to get, um, you know, blindsided and, and, and patriotic and, not thinking about the fact that there's people all over the world going through the same things that they are, you know, the same emotional journeys, the same um, financial strains, the same uh, worries about their children's future, you know, like that stuff is happening in every culture in its own way, you know, all over the world. And I think if we stopped creating barriers with things like build a wall, you know, with <laughs> Trump versus Mexico, you know, stupid things like that, where it's so ignorant and it's so belittling to humankind. It's like, if we can see that, you know, there's humans all over the planet that depend on these ecosystems and care about these environments, I think it will shift the narrative. I really think it'll show people like, wow, there's a family with kids just like me living in this other place, being affected like, just like I am. And then, the, the you know, the, the final thing that we really wanna do with this film in an impactful way is encourage involvement. So, you know, you, again, you know, you watch these big nature docs and it's like, okay, that's cool to know that like, you know, seals and, and, sh and sharks are like having this interaction in Antarctica or whatever, but like, how does that affect me? Or like, how can I get involved? And the reality is there's organizations in every city, in every state, in every country, doing things hands-on to protect local ecosystems and environments. So, you know, we really want to create an educational program in correlation with the film that's going to live in a variety of ways, whether it's a website where people can go and engage with additional content or, um, you know, which might be built into part of the NFT situation. Um, you know, we have contacts with educational systems around the world where we can create educational packages about all these subjects that we research. 
and get them directly in the hands of teachers who are working with millions of kids around the world. We really want to have that firsthand impact of sharing knowledge and education. I mean, we all have so much to learn and there's so many ways that each of us in, in our own individual way can make small changes in our life or find local ways to, to physically participate um, that can make a big impact. I mean, imagine if 8 billion people were aware of what was going. I mean, I don't think even half of the people in the world really have a grasp on what's going on with climate change. And I feel like when, when these depressing headlines come up, a lot of people just turn the other way because they're trying to pay the bills. They're trying to take care of their children. They're trying to get things done. I mean, imagine a family, imagine that we, we brand this film in a way that it can be in an IMAX theater and we create this beautiful celebratory merge between art and real solutions. And people go with their families to see this stuff and actually get excited about climate change. I mean, why does it have to be a depressing topic? Why does it have to be something that feels impossible when we, we have the science and we have the solutions, you know? Hmm. And so I'm really hoping that this film can do all of the above. I hope it can really inspire people, get people involved, you know, on a higher level with people who have the resources, people can, you know, financially invest in these organizations that we're featuring. But I just really think there's so many ways for people to engage with this. And yeah, I'm really just hoping to create something new, you know, like something that hasn't been done before. Mm. That's amazing. And for those people who want to support your journey and this upcoming film about climate change, how can they get involved? How can they participate? Um, maybe join your community or support you in any way? Yeah, absolutely. Well, definitely, um, I'm always posting updates as I go on Instagram and Twitter. Those are my two biggest platforms. Um, I'm super engaged on both of the two. And, you know, I'll, you know, I'll do a little shout out to my artwork, but, you know, a lot of my photographs are available as NFTs. So what I'm doing right now in this phase of my creative journey is, you know, any, any collector that um, adds one of my pieces to their collection as an NFT um, or physical prints, um, I'm directly investing that money into this film project. So, you know, we are seeking pretty large um, funding opportunities. But at this point in the in the journey, we're just doing our research. Um, we're going to try to start getting into scouting. Um, and generally, with this level of a project, um, you don't start getting the bigger funding till you've already invested a little bit of your own energy into building the vision, right? Um, and so, you know, for example, we have a really cool opportunity to research coral reefs in Tahiti. We have a direct connection with the Tetiaroa Society there. Um, and I've been invited, you know, resources pending um, to come start the scouting journey there in October. So, you know, we are seeking various forms of funding, but if anybody wants to feel directly connected <laughs> and to participate um, directly with me on a personal level, um, you know, anybody that collects my pieces over the next few months, like I said, that funding is going to go directly towards me being able to go and research firsthand in some of these different environments. Um, and I'm really interested in, in building a collector community as these projects develop, um, where there will be maybe some really cool engaging opportunities, you know, firsthand screenings for all of my collectors who maybe get the first view of the film once it's finished. Um, I'm really excited to create uh, in-person gatherings where we can, you know, talk about the journey of the film, maybe experience some of the culture of one of the locations where we filmed. Um, these are all things that we're planning to include in the drops for the film themselves, but I'm extending those perks to anyone who collects my art over the next you know, six to 10 months as we're developing this film. So I really, really uh, want to share this with people, you know, like I don't want to, the art world can be so like up, nose up and <laughs> exclusive and bougie and 
that's not me. You know, I'm a super down to earth person. I love community. I love including people. Um, and so, like I said, for anyone who's interested in collecting art, um, expect to be included in that, in, in this whole film journey as well. Yeah. Well, can you just uh, spell out your Instagram and Twitter handle for those who are just listening? Absolutely. Um, so on Instagram, it's at Rob Woodcox photo. So R O B W O O D C O X and the word photo P H O T O. And for Twitter, it's just my name, Rob Woodcox. So R O B W O O D C O X. Um, and I'm sure we'll link everything we'll link as you. well. Like everything. Link it all. <laughs> but yeah, you can um, everything. I have link tree <laughs> attached to both accounts. So, you know, if people are interested in exploring my NFTs or my prints or my book, um, I do have a coffee table art book um, mm -hmm. as well. Um, those are awesome ways to engage with my art and, and bring my art into your own collections. So interesting. Yeah. Amazing. Cool. It will definitely add the links and whatnot. Um, I just had, uh, we're almost nearing the end, but I just had a, a thought in my head around um, maybe one of the benefits of Web3 when in the context of kind of filmmaking or something where there's this creative kind of process and there's a message at the end, um, kind of bringing people along with that journey is really interesting um, because, you know, if you think of, let's say a David Attenborough documentary that takes a long time to create that thing. And you're only ever exposed to that, that journey, that message at the very end, when you watch the, when you watch the thing. And if there's somehow some way to bring people in that two year journey in the lead up to that thing, um, a, I feel like you'd get more people watching it, but that feel like they are part of the solution as well. Like I feel like it would just be a way richer experience um and maybe i'm biased but i feel like web3 could maybe help to facilitate that in some way uh, whether that's through kind of nfts and that kind of unlocking certain things or whatever it is um a lot of exciting things um i think when it comes to that particular idea and, and film i think um i think even just like communication between you and the supporters or or joining your community while you're building that film, they will have feedback. They might be able to add value. They might, you know, know some NGOs or some people. And they they're not only just feeling like they're part of the process, they're actually part of the process. I yes. think that's Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really excited because um I want to start my own Twitter space as we start developing the film to really just keep people updated and um you know, welcome other people who are doing similar types of projects to speak on stage and talk about their own experience. Um, so definitely look out for that. And um, I also, yeah, you know, something we really want to do as we scout is create photographs in my style as um, content that absolutely we can sell as we go as NFTs as one part of it, but also to show to start talking about and, and, and ed, you know, sharing the knowledge, like I said, um, as we go, you know, like as we learn things, start sharing like really interesting tidbits of information just to get people excited. Like, oh my God, guess what? Like in Tahiti, a new coral planting process was just discovered and accelerated coral growth by 50%. You know, like when, th when, when little victories happen, you know, being able to share that as we go, I think will really keep people engaged and excite people more for the for the final product, you know, so we definitely want this to be an engaging journey. And, um, you know, it does sometimes feel like we're on the clock with climate related subjects. So, I mean, the reality is still we are in a dire situation, right? Like we, we need to take action. But again, I think when we're focusing on things from a solution-oriented, celebratory perspective for the people who are doing the work, I think that's when we're really going to start to see change. So, Love yeah, it. excited to include amazing. this amazing community in the journey. Well, before the 
there's the closing question that I want to ask, but is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to kind of speak to before I ask the, the final question? No, I think, I think we've kind of touched on everything that's uh, top of my mind at the moment. Okay, cool. Um, the, the final question is kind of in line with the kind of being optimistic for the future and that sort of stuff is what excites you the most um, about the future of Web3 and your kind of perspective and your considering your interests? You know, I, I was thinking about that recently because it is still such a new universe. I think it's it's developing, you know, slowly over time. Obviously, we've had some challenges and setbacks as a community with, you know, the bear market and with, you know, Luna crash and so many crazy things that have happened over the last couple of years and um, governments getting involved with crypto and, you know, which is kind of opposite the point. Um, but anyways, all that being said, it's around to stay just like any technology, just like any new, new craft. I mean, there's so many like things being developed within that space, like all the AI stuff going on, which is fascinating and like so much cool art being developed, um, through that technology. And it's like, I see how passionate people are in the space and we're not going anywhere. You know, I'm one of them. I'm also very passionate about it. I think it's brilliant technology. I love the accountability that's built into Web Web three and specifically NFTs and collecting art. You know, the fact that it's all publicly traceable, um, that artists always get a kickback. Um, all of these things are huge for the art world, and anybody who's not participating yet is honestly missing out. You know, so I'm just really excited for the space to continue growing and to adapt to larger scale culture and to really just continue to impact. I mean, I, every time I see, you know, a platform or a specific artist or a community doing another art feature in Times Square or in on the big screens in like Beijing and Hong Kong and around the world, Milan, I just get so I'm filled with joy. I'm just like, yes. I'm like, yes, take over the world. Like, let's fucking go. Because it's just like, this community is so brilliant and so bright and full of so much talent. And yeah, that's it for me. I just want to see, I just want to see it take over the world. Yeah. And I think it will.